Let us pray. Speak to us, living God, as you have spoken to our ancestors. Through the voices of your prophets, the breath of your spirit, and the life of your son, so that we may live according to your word. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Our scripture lesson for this morning comes from Isaiah 51, verses 1 through 8 and verse 11. I'll be reading from the Common English Bible translation. Listen for the word of God. Listen to me, you who look for righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry where you were dug. Look to Abraham, your ancestor, and to Sarah, who gave you birth. They were alone when I called them, but I blessed them and made them many. The Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her ruins. He will make her a, des- a desert, her desert like Eden and her wilderness like the Lord's garden. Happiness and joy will be found in her. Thanks and the sound of singing. Pay attention to me, my people. Listen to me, my nation, for teaching will go out from me, my justice as a light to the nations. I will quickly bring my victory. My salvation is on its way, and my arm will judge the people's. The coastlands hope for me. They wait for my judgment. Look up to the heavens and gaze at the earth beneath. The heavens will disappear like smoke. The earth will wear out like clothing, and its inhabitants will die like gnats. But my salvation will endure forever, and my righteousness will be unbroken. Listen to me, you who know what is right, people who carry my teaching in your heart. Do not fear human scorn and do not be upset when they abuse you. The moth will eat them as if they were clothing and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness is forever and my salvation for all generations. Then let those ransomed by the Lord return and come to Zion with singing and with everlasting joy upon their heads. Let happiness and joy overwhelm them. Let grief and groaning flee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You're invited to pause for a moment for prayer and reflection on the text. Amen. One year for Christmas, my brother and I both received yellow Tonka dump trucks. It was not my usual doll or books, and I loved it. My hunch is that my parents were trying to fend off battles between two siblings born 26 months apart, and that it was just simpler to give us the same present. But that truck became a favorite, 
mainly because it was just the right size for me to put one knee in it and race down our short, flat driveway and around the house on occasion. And maybe partially thanks to that truck, I developed a fascination with construction sites. Even now, I confess that I could spend hours watching dump trucks come and go, seeing how they erect girders and build walls. As many of you know, CPC will soon have new neighbors around the corner. Construction is underway for new sheets. It has been the source of celebration and contention and worry. But now that it is well underway, I've gotten to catch glimpses of the progress. At one point, as they carved space out of the slope, you could see a huge shelf of stone beneath the surface, beneath the soil. The stark white band that stretched along the side of their property revealed something that runs under ours, under us. It always has. Look to the stone from which you were dug, Isaiah tells the exiles, or which you were cut. There is an uncertainty about life in exile, extended uncertainty. The people who are sent away in waves as the southern kingdom falls are the leaders, the ones with resources, the thinkers, the doers, the ones who feel sturdy on their feet, or they did, before the world they knew, their, the life their parents knew crumbled beneath them. And now the exiles and their children and grandchildren have done their very best to build a life, to marry and plant gardens in this unfamiliar place with its unfamiliar languages and customs and food. And for those who have listened to the prophets, underneath all that they have built and behind all that they have known, there has always been this promise of exiles coming to an end, of exile being temporary. The people have banked on that promise, that promise that God would bring them home, but that promise is open-ended. Exile has no publicized expiration date. God's promised deliverance is ongoing and yet still a ways off. Sound familiar? A few months back, Cheryl Galen invited us to reflect on the risen Christ's encounter with two disciples on the way to Emmaus. They tell this stranger all about their beloved rabbi who was crucified while also sharing their disappointment about all they had looked forward to that had not happened. We had hoped, they say. It was late spring, and many hopes had been postponed, if not dashed, weddings, graduations, trips. Jobs were lost, as were lives. Medical personnel were overwhelmed. Parents were exhausted from juggling everything. Many of our older friends were alone and isolated. But we hoped, we had hoped that the summer or maybe the fall would somehow look different, that some sort of normalcy would return by now. Instead, cases continue to remain too high, so everything remains still 
on hold a bit in a suspended state of sorts. School has resumed, or it will very soon. Some are completely online, while others are trying some in-person instruction. Everyone remains on edge. And although a pandemic is not exile, a pandemic does not have an expiration date either, at least not one we can mark on our calendars in ink. Science writer Tara Hall consulted numerous experts when she found herself unable to feel motivated to do much of anything a month or so ago. Dr. Ann Maston told her that she and much of the country had been operating at surge capacity for most of the spring. Surge capacity is a collection of adaptive systems, mental and physical, that humans draw on for short-term survival in acutely stressful situations such as natural disasters. But natural disasters occur over a short period, even if recovery is long. Pandemics are different. The disaster itself stretches out indefinitely. The pandemic has demonstrated both what we can do with surge capacity and the limits of surge capacity, says Maston. When it's depleted, it has to be renewed. But what happens when you struggle to renew it? Because the emergency phase has now become chronic. The exiles would not use the same language, and yet I have to believe that they know what it is to live in a constant state of uncertainty, to feel like the ground is always shifting beneath them. Jerusalem is not the only place left in ruins, after all. The exiles lived most of their lives in a war zone, trading one invader for another. Even the prospect of their exile coming to an end is due to Persia conquering Babylon. It must be difficult to trust the good news, to be good, to believe that this time it is safe to hope. So God, through the words of Isaiah, tells them to listen. To listen to God, not to the warriors or the naysayers or the others claiming to have all the answers. And God tells them to look to the rock from which you were cut. You are chips off the old block, God seems to say. And that block, or blocks as it were, are Abraham and Sarah. The language here invites the community to look to their own longer story, to their very foundation as people who trace their narrative back to an elderly, wandering, childless couple to whom God promised and delivered blessings beyond anything humanly imaginable. Abraham and Sarah could not see how on earth God would make a way. But as we have been reminded throughout the summer, God does indeed make a way in and through this least likely pair in the least likely of places. And they in turn become the foundation of a family of faith, the rock from which the rest of us are cut. But it is not as simple as reminding each other that we are made of strong stuff. 
that our ancestors have survived and thrived in the worst of times, so we have to trust that we will too. Ours is not a buck-up, buttercup story. To say we should simply buck up, to say we should just change our attitude, make lemonade out of lemons or any other overly simplistic platitude is to miss how hard this season is on everyone. Dr. Pauline Boss, another expert Dr. Hall consulted, speaks of how we are all facing what she calls ambiguous loss. If you think of the simple, once routine things you miss, such as going out to eat, hugging a grandchild or a grandparent, or even savoring a donut hole in the lounge before worship, Boss says these were all things we were attached to and fond of, and they're gone right now. So the loss is ambiguous. It's not a death. But it's a major, major loss. What we used to have has been taken away from us. She also says that this kind of loss is harder for high achievers. The more accustomed you are to solving problems, to getting things done, to having a routine, the harder it will be on you because none of that is possible right now. Many of us, many of you, fall into that category We are accustomed to getting things done on our schedule and on our terms. Pandemic has taken that agency away from many of us. As a solution, another one of Dr. Hall's sources speaks of a resilience bank account, a form of self-care that allows us to accept that this is hard while also embracing what we can do, such as cook and sleep and take time to do things that still bring us joy. Give us a stockpile of sorts. And while I appreciate all that Hall and the others offer in her article, for me, they leave out a crucial piece, and that's where these words from Isaiah speak to something deep within me. I can bake, run, talk to friends via Zoom or in old-fashioned phone calls. I can watch old movies, plant seeds, take naps, and savor my friend's posts of her neighborhood's joke of the day. But these things alone do not fill up my resilience bank account fully or soothe my soul in any profound or lasting way. When the rancor of politics sets my teeth on edge, when anger, defensiveness, and plain meanness rule the day, when children are hungrier than they were months ago, when people are dying of addiction or despair, when the ground is shifting and quaking beneath my feet, I need to know that there is a foundation that does not depend on my holding it up, a grounding that has stood and will stand the test of time. Look to the rock from which you were cut. It's not about Abraham and Sarah, really. They outspend their resilience bank account. They reach their wit's end. They convince themselves that the promise is just too much, beyond what God can actually do. 
And when they are all but dead, as the text reads, God transforms them into laughter and giving them Isaac. This child embodies hope they never dared to trust and a future they had stopped expecting. You cannot still see the rock shelf behind sheets right now. Now, don't worry, as tempting as it is, I have not scaled the chain link fence to get a closer look. But I can see neatly stacked cinder blocks forming a solid wall. Still, somehow I find it reassuring to know that the rock, that stone shelf, is there underneath it all, still underneath us here. Later this morning, friends and congregation members will stop by to receive Stickers to drop off empty egg cartons and cans of food for New Hope Ministries and coins for our noisy Sunday collection for Meals on Wheels and maybe to select a prayer shawl or square for a friend. It has not been easy for any of us to be away from this sanctuary in the round that sits atop that stone shelf in this corner of Allendale. There is something about returning, even if only briefly, to this place that means so much to us, this place that holds the memories of saints who have gone before. Memories of baptisms, weddings, VBS, preschool, Bible studies, and so much more. This place is more than the memories, of course, and it is also more than the plans we make for the future and the steps we take that will bring us back together safely at some point. Above all, this place points to the one who births a nation through a fickle couple in their golden years, the one who frees the Hebrews from slavery in Egypt, and the one who brings the exiles home. And this place points us to the one who comes to us in Jesus, God's promise made flesh. In him we are planted not simply on a shelf of stone, but held steady by the firmest foundation of all. Look to the rock from which you were cut. That place down the hill is not the only construction site. God is still building a people, building a blessing, not with dump trucks and girders, but with hearts and hands and minds and lives. That foundation does not start or stop here on the edge of Deerfield Road. It stretches far beyond what the eye can see and well beyond all that even the brightest mind can comprehend. The rock runs in and through and under all of God's people, no matter where, no matter what. It always has. And it always will. Thanks be to God. Amen.